welcome back to another episode of Another Book on the Shelf. Today we're going to be talking about another book that uh, Coach House graciously Yay. sent us. We love them. And it's called Disfigured uh, on Fairy Tales, Disability, and Making Space by Amanda LeDuc. LeDuc? It's probably supposed to have a French inflection that I'm not going to give it because <laughs> it's going to sound weird. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is the second book we've done of theirs? Yes. Yes. Uh, and I realized that we didn't really talk about Coach House themselves that much mm-hmm. last time because we were so excited to talk about the book, which yes. was uh, Paper Houses right? Uh, by Dominique Fortier. Yes. Uh, yeah, we were we were too excited. But, uh, so Coach House Books is a Toronto publisher, and if you've been listening for the last 35 episodes, you probably know that we're in Toronto. And if you <laughs> haven't been or didn't realize, that's where we are. That is where we are. Uh, so I wanted to just give you a little history of about Coach House Books. Uh, in 1965, uh, a typesetter named Stan Bevington was making money selling Canadian flags to, <laughs> the quote that I read was, to the hippies in Yorkville. <laughs> okay, but that's a hilarious thing about Yorkville, <laughs> is that it used to be like a 60s hippie counterculture area, and now it's all bougie and rich. So bougie. Uh, but yeah, so he was selling flags That's there hilarious. and made enough money to rent an old coach house, an actual old coach house, and bought a Challenge Gordon Platon Press uh, with Dennis Reed, who was at that time like the curator of the AGO. Oh. <laughs> a little oh trivia God, for weird. <laughs> to people who do and used to work at the gallery. Uh, but yeah, so with Dennis Reed, he printed a book of poetry by Wayne Clifford. After that, a whole bunch of artists and writers flocked to the little to the little coach house uh, with all their uh, projects, including uh, Michael Andante oh. and a few other people. Uh, they always kind of maintained that dual role in Canadian letters with publishing and printing books. They were known for the adventurousness in both content and presentation. Uh, there was a move and a change in ownership and management in the late 80s. Uh, so there's a little bit of a new direction, but it didn't last too long. In 1996, government funding was cut obviously. Naturally. Uh, And it kind of decimated the company a little bit. Uh, But in 1997, Stan Bevington was able to resurrect it back in its original home. Uh, Because the printing in the old coach house had continued the entire time. Wow. Yeah. So with uh, new directors, they boldly ventured online, including all of like the electronic editions of stuff and luscious print versions. (laughs) Referring to the physical copy as that fetish object formerly known as the book. <laughs> uh, and now they're still pushing the frontiers of the book with innovative fiction, poetry, film, drama, and even nonfiction. And I think this book is a really good example of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, a little bit about the author. Uh, Amanda LeDuc's essays and stories have appeared in publications across Canada, the U.S., and the U.K., She is the author of the novels The Miracles of Ordinary Men and the forthcoming The Centaur's Wife. She has cerebral palsy and lives in Hamilton, Ontario, where she works as the communications coordinator for the Festival of Literary Diversity, which is Canada's first festival for diverse authors and stories. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, She was born in Canada and has lived in England, British Columbia, Ontario, and Scotland. She has published across across Canada. uh, Did we say this already? A little bit, yeah. I, just right. kinda, 
I just kind of did a little research and popped a bunch well, of stuff in there. Well, cool. that's cool. That's uh, cool. But she's been shortlist- shortlisted for a number of awards, among them the 2015 Story Quarterly Fiction Prize, the 2014 CBC Canada Writes Short Story Competition, the 2012 and 2008 Prism International Short Fiction Contest, the 2012 TNQ Edna Stabler Personal Essay Contest, the 2008 UK Daily Mail First Novel Award, and the 2006 CBC Literary Award. So she's all over the place. Mm. A lot of those are like little tiny um, Canadian literary magazines, but that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, like they're tiny it. in like the scheme of the world, but like yeah, yeah, but like CBCs, like big. Oh yeah, no, for sure. No, I was mostly thinking about like Prism and TNQ, yeah. but which are both actually I've they're both literary magazines that I've received at some point in time yeah. and <laughs> have looked at their competitions. So that's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. So this book is i'm trying to figure like it's not like a textbook no it's it's not really a collection of i don't know it's what it's what um in when i was doing grad school and we Mm -hmm. would read a book like this it's what we'd call a monograph oh yes that sounds so smart i know (laughs) (laughs) which is basically a book on a very specific topic Mm written by the same author but it is essentially a like series of linked essays okay. around the same mm-hmm. topic right like like a really long essay rather than a collection of works because it, it does have a a, an, a little bit of an academic mm-hmm. feel to it I, even though there's a little bit of like memoir i would say in there yes, as well absolutely yeah. nice. uh, but the sort of main gist of the book is uh, you know, by examining the ways fairy tales have shaped people's expectations of disability, this kind of is pointing towards a world where maybe disability isn't seen as, like, the punishment or the thing that you're trying to overcome yeah. to get to the good place. The good place? Hmm. Um, <laughs> I purposely have not watched the finale yet because I feel like I'm going to cry. Anyways. I haven't watched any of the last season. <laughs> but yes, so... What do you think? Tell me things. Let's I I really this. I really enjoyed it, mostly because I know very little about disability studies, mm-hmm. and it's not something I normally think about coming from the privileged position of a very able-bodied person, mm-hmm. unless it's something ridiculous when I'm at the gallery and I one of our elevators goes down and I'm like, this is the least <laughs> simple way to get anywhere if you have any kind of mobility issues, yeah. and it's terrible. But anyway... It's a, or, like, when I'm on the TTC and I'm like, what do people do? Yeah. Yeah, there's certain subway stops that you can't go to. Well, and even up until recently with the old streetcars, they yeah. all had steps. Mm-hmm. Like, th- there was no ramp or anything. Mm-hmm. So you just – that's so many yeah. ways of getting around the city that you just can't use. Yeah. So – but, yeah, other than minor stuff like that, it's not something I really notice in – fairy tales and stuff like I it's it's funny because I never would have looked at something like the little mermaid which she's talks about in the book and ever thought that Ariel was disabled at any point even though she fully can't talk yeah (laughs) and I think that's sort of the bigger picture of it too yeah is that when people think of disability they think of like a wheelchair true but really there's so many that's like a drop in the bucket of things absolutely and yes, and just, and yeah, like speaking to Ariel, like, yeah, like that was, because you literally are thinking about everything other than the fact that she can't talk. Right. <laughs> and I guess because because of the status of it's temporary, 
mm-hmm. and you know it's temporary pretty much. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I can't recall the first time I ever saw Little Mermaid because I was probably two. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows what my takeaway from that was. But I feel like anyone who understands fairy tales at all, even if they haven't seen The Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. is going to go into The Little Mermaid and be like, well, she's obviously going to get her voice back. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. The sort of very temporary nature of those kinds of things that happen to characters in fairy tales. And just, like, you don't even think literally, like, all the different fairy tales that she's discussed, mm-hmm. which are a lot of, like, ones that everyone knows. Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah. Sleeping Beauty. All the ones that have been Disney-fied. Disney-fied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there's a few that come from deep German, Russian, whatever, way back, Hans Christian Andersen, way back in the day ones that yeah. have, haven't really turned into anything else or morphed into anything else. And some of the stories, yeah, like, you're not... You just don't even think about how, I think because the general populace has just seen the Disney versions, is that you're not even, you just don't think about it. Like, no. Like with Ariel or like with, like any of them, like you don't think, but as soon as she said that, you're like, oh. Yeah. Right? Because everyone's either pretty and then they get turned into like something, quote unquote, like hideous, and then like your reward for being a good person or whatever mm-hmm. is then you get to become beautiful again or yeah like you beauty, start off somewhere and the beast and you... right like where he's turned into the beast because yeah. i don't know i mean in the in the disney movie it's because yeah. i guess he was like mean to that old witch lady that came by which yeah. even that in and of itself <laughs> that she's like the old mm-hmm. sort of hunchbacked lady and then she turns into this like beautiful witch queen and then she curses him yeah but yeah, then the whole goal is for him to get someone to fall in love with him despite his horrible outward appearance mm-hmm. so that he can turn back into the handsome prince. Yeah. yeah. I'd never thought of it that <laughs> way before. <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is so much going on in these fairy tales that I just didn't even think about. This like subliminal messaging of, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty crazy. And there's a lot of talk of, I mean, obviously like most fairy tales did come from France, Germany, somewhere over there. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Of I years mean, well, ago. and she does say at some point that at the beginning, I think that she focuses mostly on European fairy tales just because mm-hmm. she knows them the best, and those are the ones that she knew growing up. Yeah. Um, and only brings in like vague mentions of other, like, like I think some Chinese fairy mm-hmm. tales, and just as like examples of where they sort of are similar across yeah. cultures, because that happens all the time where you have very similar stories across cultures, but. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just floating through the book and getting distracted. But yes, yeah, so like even like Rapunzel. That's just it. There's always like some weird, ugly witch. Yes, always. Someone gets sent away. It's kind of, so that's why it, it's kind of have those, it has those two parts. Like the... All of the fairy tales, and just generally, like, discussing the fairy tales, mm-hmm. but then how that actually relates to how, without realizing it, just by watching all of those Disney movies in our heads, we've now, like, as grown adults, are like, oh, like, being the hideous old witch is bad, and you need to do the right thing so you can be pretty again. Right. But really, that's just bad <laughs> it's actually terrible when you think about it in retrospect and even when like she's talking about the disney version of cinderella mm-hmm. how 
Cinderella, the character, is this graceful, petite little, you know, thing. And the stepsisters are bigger and clumsier and kind of, like, they're uglier. They're the ugly stepsisters. In the the, the Disney version, they have, like, huge noses and weird knobby feet. and Yeah. And they're trying to squeeze their giant feet into the tiny little glass slipper, which is much... Nicer than much nicer than the uh, Brothers Grimm version, where they actually slice off pieces yeah. of their feet to get them in, and then they get their eyes picked out by birds at the end. So, mm. like their punishment is disfigurement. Yeah, that's insane. So, like no matter what, you kind of can't win yeah. in a fairy tale because at some point you're going to end up some version of disabled. Yeah, whether you're because you're either good and you're trying to fix something, so then you're, like, rewarded with being not disabled, yeah. or then you're bad and then your punishment is being disabled. Like, yeah. Yeah, because not only, not only then are those stepsisters without their toes and, like, part of their feet, <laughs> and thus probably is affecting, you know, the way that they can walk, but then they go blind because they get their eyes pecked out. That's yeah. bananas. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. I think, yeah, it was just kind of interesting to see it that way and with all the different scholars that she spoke with mm-hmm. and just all of their And, like, different... the disability activists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, you know, like, access to healthcare and mm-hmm. all those different things. It's just... Yeah. A lot of people just live in a very privileged world. Yeah. I loved the way she pulled... Like, she pulled in... Her own experiences, though, like going back to when she was a child, when they were first figuring out what uh, what was causing the cerebral palsy mm-hmm. and like why she wasn't walking the way that, you know, a, I guess, quote unquote, normal, normal child yeah. development uh, would happen. And then like just sort of, yeah, the way she reacted to not looking or walking like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Growing up, like, yeah, that was definitely some of the best part. Was yeah, the, where it sort of just like jump cut back into like a memoir sort of things. I thought it worked really well that juxtaposition of the mm-hmm. more academic style essay where she breaks down the fairy tales and looks at those different things, and then also pulls in her memoir to sort of like, yeah, yeah, to almost ground it and personalize it in a way. Because even like with the um, going back to Cinderella when she was saying. About because one of her feet, I think, is a different size, mm-hmm. right? Um, in a slightly different shape. Yeah. Yeah. And how, so she would never be able to be Cinderella with a shoe slipping on her foot so daintily. Like, yeah, like she's, she can never yeah. wear high heels. She no. can never do those things. And that even just something as simple as that, I was mm-hmm. like, man, I never thought about that. The way that you idealize this kind of perfect mm-hmm. human being. And yeah, that's that's who gets the happiness at the end of the fairy tale and out of all the fairy tales like they're still only like just kind of getting there like Mm -hmm. and especially a lot of this does have to do with like disney fairy tales so like for sure there's been mulan there was princess and the frog yep they did that one so like they're kind of and because like that was set in new orleans like it's they're slightly getting like racially diverse right well i mean i guess they did also step away from the classic blonde princess with 
brave. She had crazy, oh yeah, true, <laughs> crazy red true, hair. That's true. Oh, and we did get Moana. Yes. So yeah, like they're getting there, but there's still never that princess yeah. with the wheelchair or with no some like yeah. It always just ends up being part of the journey that they have to go on to get back to where they yeah. were or whatever. Yeah. Which is so crazy. Really is. Although it has been making me notice like on TV. Yes. There's been a few more shows with like predominant main characters in wheelchairs or because I was somehow watching NCIS New Orleans yesterday. <laughs> Don't really know how that <laughs> happened. But the one actor who I do remember from the 90s uh, he was in a car accident in like 2000 mm-hmm. and is paralyzed. Like, but now oh. he's still in all these shows. But. Right. Yeah, because you don't see it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I have noticed a bit more deaf representation yes. in TV shows. Like there's a character on Supernatural who just was brought back from the dead, as is the nature of that show. <laughs> but she's, she's a deaf yeah. character. And then the society on Netflix, one mm-hmm. of the main characters is also deaf. So like that's like there's, there's mm-hmm. small baby steps happening, Yeah, I think. But, yeah, the only other example I can really think of was, like, Michael J. Fox on The Good Wife. Because he's very, in certain points, he's very visibly, like, you can see that he has Parkinson's. Yeah. But it's just not a whole lot of Mm -hmm. disabled representation. No. Actually, it's funny on The Good Wife because he uses that... Like, he, the lawyer, his character of the lawyer in that show uses his sort of, like, disability to make people sympathetic towards him. And then, like, he basically is exploiting himself. It's pretty funny. (laughs) It's pretty great. Yeah. But, yeah, no, definitely, definitely something I've been paying a little bit more attention to. Yeah. And even still then, like, I know on Mom, like, with Anna Ferris and... The tall lady that wins everything that was on the West Wing. Oh. Oh my God. Like I, can't, I know who you're talking about, I can't but I can't remember her name. Right <laughs> <laughs> uh, but her, like, in the last couple seasons, her now husband, played by William Fickner, he's in a wheelchair. Mm. And, like, he's not in real life in a wheelchair, but, like, on the show. And, like, right. And that's just, like, how his, like, his character's always have been that way. It wasn't, like, something that happened on the show. So, like, that's, and that's, like, a really popular show. So, yeah. like, that's kind of a thing. But yeah, like there's just, and I've noticed there was, I saw one other commercial, some guy who had this like Australian show is now doing a show on like, one of those like offshoots of another network, like oh, okay. ABC Spark or right. whatever the one that has all yeah, the yeah. like new party of five, the Fosters, all that right. bold type. Oh, I love the Fosters. <laughs> whatever that channel is. But the, one of the girls, I don't know. Someone dies and, like, you know, he, a bunch of his, like, half-siblings are, like, living with him. Or I don't know. Okay. But the one girl has autism. Oh, okay. But she's, I guess I would put it on, like, the high-functioning scale. Like, right. she's clearly in school or at university yeah. or something. But in the commercial, this is sort of off-topic, but it's just so hilarious. She's, like, meeting someone new and she's like, yes, yeah, so, like, I have autism. And, like, you know, my dad's biggest regret in life is vaccinating me. That's a joke. <laughs> That's hilarious. Just like, oh, oh like, man. For me, like growing up, my mom always worked right. in the field yeah. with, with people with varying disabilities or mm-hmm. abilities and things like that. You know, my aunt had Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. That was just something that we always had around us. So I think 
not that I like don't notice it as much, but it's not as visibly out of place to me. Right, that makes Whereas sense. someone else would be like, oh, that person's in a wheelchair or like that person's walking funny. Like, yeah, I just don't notice it as much because it's, yeah, like it's just not as out of place for no, me. That makes sense. Totally. But when I start thinking about how you don't see it. You really don't. And especially in anything. Oh, that actually makes me think of American related. Horror Story. Actually, I can't remember her name now. The actress that has Down syndrome that has oh, been in yes. quite a few seasons. Yes. Yeah. But again, that's also not something you see a whole lot. No. So I'm flipping through the book. Yeah, here. no, totally. <laughs> totally. Well, there's just one passage where Amanda's talking back to, like, Ariel and, like, you know, she gained her legs by magic. But, Amanda, you know, I gained my legs by the decidedly less romantic practicalities of orthopedic surgery. Yes. Practicalities which left me with a limp that wouldn't go away. And unlike her, the acquisition of my legs was not picture perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. crazy. Also, just, like, as a somewhat side note, a lot of these quote-unquote fairy tales are weird. Um, right? Like, super weird. Um, like the half hedgehog guy? And he's, like, wearing it as a suit, but then he knows the whole time, but then no one else right? does. And then he gets kicked out of his family, but then he, like, gains the trust of people, and then they love him, so then he gets rid of it. But then, like, it was more of a him thing and not society thing, and I was like... Okay. Sorry, what? As someone who has never encountered this fairy tale before in my entire <laughs> yes. life until reading this book, I, I at first I was like, what is happening? And then I continued to be like, what is happening? And then I was just confused about the point. Mm-hmm. I just didn't get it. And I was like, I totally understand why this has never been adopted by Disney because it's weird AF. Yes. <laughs> like, what is going on? So, yeah, so he... He's half a hedgehog. Yes. So eventually his parents, like, banish him because they don't want to deal with him. And he goes off into the world and is able to, like, prove his worth kind of to people by, like, doing stuff. And they society sort of deals with the fact yeah. that he's a half hedgehog. And then he meets this princess, of course. And he returns to, the, to, like, the castle with her and they end up getting married. And so he tells her that his hedgehog-ness is only a costume. So he actually instructs her and the king to have four guards grasp his hedgehog suit when he removes it and throw it into the fire, thereby vanishing his hedgehog nest forever and assuming his true permanent guise of an attractive young man. Naturally. And because of that, then he's able to go home to his parents with his beautiful wife in tow, and then everyone's just happy because there's been ultimate triumph over his disfigurement. Everyone's happy because everyone's beautiful. Yeah, it's super weird. I also, I think, just couldn't wrap my head around what half a hedgehog person would look like. Oh, I feel like I can see that perfectly. <laughs> I'm just so confused about this. It's like kind of like a Beauty and the Beast situation, but also not. Yes. <laughs> and then the the lady who gets her hands cut off and she like oh yeah that's strapped, right like, walks around with them on her back yeah. What are our fairy tales? I don't know, man. It's messed up, though. But again, it's some sort of daughter that gets banished away, and then her hands get cut off, but she carries them around with her, and then she does something, and someone falls in love with her, and then her hands magically work again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Super weird. So weird. Yeah. Instead of just being I was actually thinking about this book a lot um, while I'm watching The Magicians right now, Mm. because it is so heavily steeped in sort of... Like, it's... Kind of fairy tales. Yeah. It's basically 
the main concept is like there's these books called Fillory and Further. So there's this like magical land called Fillory, which is clearly based a little bit on the Narnia books. But it's like its own made up thing. But yeah, there's totally a point in there where one of the characters gets his hand, his hands cut off Mm -hmm. and then magically cured in like this healing magical healing water Hmm. to be fair it doesn't work that well and he encounters problems with it and he (laughs) is up to the point that i've watched it still unable to do magic because his hands are messed up so maybe it's a little bit better than a simple (laughs) fix of like this magic curing river will heal you of everything but there is Hmm. definitely a sense of and like it's it's interesting to think about when you're talking about magic and because it's, I feel like it's such a thing that you automatically would go to yeah. in any book involving magic is that kind of a magical cure because, mm-hmm. yeah, because I'm sure some people would want that. But, and that's what so much yeah. of this book is about is that it's not the people that have to change or like mm-hmm. get better or whatever. It's society. Yes. Because it's like, okay, great. You know, just realize like so much of the, so many of those mm. things, it's not actually a problem. No. Like maybe you have, like I went to school with this one girl, and on her one hand she only had a thumb and a pinky. Right. And even that was a little. Yeah. There were slight appendages, but I wouldn't even necessarily call them a thumb and a pinky. Yeah. But like, she did her thing and was fine. Yeah, totally. And it's not the like. So like, oh, she needed to have some sort of like bionic hand made for her. Right. She just needed, I mean, realistically to be left alone. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like pretty much. And all those things were like, again, like we we're talking about the TTC and stuff like that. Like, yeah, they're just. It's like, like the it is to- 2020 and they are only now getting to a point where they're actually making every single station accessible and mm-hmm. actually have accessible streetcars. Yeah. In 2020. Yeah. And even the streetcar isn't even accessible all the way in some areas. Like, the King Streetcar, apparently, once it goes up, like, there's actually a stop on that line before it goes up Ronsi, where they say this is the last accessible stop. And I don't know why. Yeah, because, like, the thing just pops out. Yeah, I don't know. It must, I don't know if it has something to do with the way the... The width of the street, maybe? Yeah. Because you can park on Ronsonsdale, right? Yeah. Maybe that's... Weird, right? So weird. Yeah. Yeah. But all those things, right? It's not about, oh, you know, Amanda had cerebral palsy, so she was walking differently. Mm -hmm. They needed to cure that. It's like, no, you just need to, you know, let her walk. Or, like, whatever. All those things, like, people in wheelchairs. It's not that they have to, again, like, learn to walk. You just need to widen Mm -hmm. the doors. Right. Have some ramps. Yeah. And some elevators. Because, yeah, so much of it, like, I feel like a lot of people are combining, like, disabilities and diseases. Mm -hmm. So, like, and she even kind of talks about that, how, how, like, the battle and, like, conquering things and, like, obviously, like, cancer. Overcoming things. Yeah, like, okay, cancer, yes. That we need to cure. That is bad. But so many of the things that these people talk, Mm -hmm. like, the different scholars and stuff with that they talk about, none of this is stuff that, like again, has to be cured. Right. People just think it does so that they can be normal. Right. Like everyone else. Yeah. Which is so stupid. Like It really is. Like, why? Why? 
Mm-hmm. Also, if children weren't so mean. That too. But that stems from. I mean, yes. Parents. Of course it And is. crazy Disney movies. Now, yeah. That, now that we've learned. Well, we yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I I'm sure it comes it from, yeah, I mean, all of those, all the kind of media that we're constantly mm-hmm. consuming. And yeah, like, that's like, yeah. we've always been told that it's not that, however, it's wrong. It's just that they need to be fixed. Mm. There so is actually in, um, I can't remember if it's, I think it's the second one in the Six of Crows duology, Crooked Kingdom, because mm. um, one of the characters walks with a cane. Um, and has, like, a limp. Mm-hmm. And he... I can't remember exactly what happens to him because he does get, like, kind of beat up. So And there is someone who has healing abilities. And it's implied that she offers to heal his leg. And he's like, no. Yeah. Like, there's nothing. No. This mm-hmm. is me. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's so interesting. That writer also walks with a cane, so that's probably where that's coming from. (laughs) But this is also why we need more, like, writers of all kinds of diversity Mm -hmm. writing these stories so that we get more, just get, I don't know, more representation and more, like... Understanding? Yeah, kind of. Acceptance? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I feel like I would be really interested if she wrote, like, a fiction, fictional story. Yeah, well, that's why I'm kind of interested in, um, because she has two, she has one novel and then another novel coming out. Mm Mm-hmm. So, might have to look into that. Yeah. Yeah. And the one coming out is called The Centaur's Wife, which is interesting, given this. Yeah, right? Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, as, like, a half-human, half-horse mm-hmm. creature. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had marked one little quote that I just want to read. Oh, nice. So that was good. Um, so of course, a lot of people talk with these different stories, and they'll just say, it's only a story. Except when it isn't. Except that people say that this, you know, people... Well, I know how to read. It's fine. It's only a story. Except when it isn't. Except that people say this and eat these narratives and internalize that this is really how the world works. Not the collective triumph, but the individual one. Not society's responsibility to overcome the hostile world, but the narrator's responsibility to evade it. Individual responsibility and also individual failure. Yeah. Yep. That's why I actually really hate when people are like, it's just a story. And I'm like, mm, it's not somewhere. though. And as we've learned with all these super old fairy tales that morphed into slightly different versions and slightly different versions and slightly different mm-hmm. versions, it's all just this, like, and we know by all of the shows that they remake and the movies that they remake and like twist and put like, slightly different. It's not just a story. It's the same no. thing over and over yeah. again. And like it's based the, off of things. And the fact that we didn't ever notice anything like this about these stories yeah. just indicates that the reason they're not just stories is because you internalize them and don't realize the ways in which they shape your entire worldview. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's the same story over and over again, you just look at it and be like, yeah, that's the way the world is. Mm-hmm. Instead of realizing that, no, that's not the case. Yeah. Let's get some more. Especially, like, we were, like, prime 
age for all of the classic Disney. Oh yeah, we were like when they were prime out. Disney Renaissance. That like nineties yeah. hit where there were just so many. Oh yeah. And yeah, like Little good. Mermaid, um, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Lion King. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was another one I think she mentioned about how Scar, his name is his entire, like the fact that he has a scar on his face. It's his, his disfigurement. His existence. Yeah, that's his whole. That's his whole entire embodiment. Then. Yeah. Well, then because the, then she goes into. I think it was in the UK they were doing that thing and it had some kind of hashtag that I unfortunately am not remembering right now but how they want to make sure and like now um the British film industry or whatever the association yeah. thing is now anyone who plays a villain isn't a lot like they will not oh, fund that's anything right. they won't fund anything where the villain is the villain because they have some sort of disfigurement disability yeah because it's like Oh, Theo, like, hashtag, I'm not your villain, or something like yes. that. Or it's like, they're purposely... Because that's what it always was. Every James Bond movie, everything, whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, that person has a stump, or a scar, or whatever. Yeah, or, like, they're missing they're the an eye, guy. or, like... Yeah. yeah. Yes, pretty nuts. So that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, right? I like mm-hmm. that, too. More heroes with disabilities. Yes. Yes. They could save things, too. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, even like she kind of goes into like the Marvel world and it's sort of the exact same too. Like, Yeah, which is interesting because at least in some cases, like say Bucky Barnes with, because he's, mm-hmm. he has his bionic arm. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, it, obviously it goes into it more in the comics, I think, yeah. but there's something about how the arm is so heavy that it actually like messes up kind of like. Yeah, right? Because, like, yeah, yeah, they tried to right. fix them, but they kind of actually made it worse. Right. But then also, I know there was a whole bunch of people that were mad about the fact that uh, Clint Barton, Hawkeye, is deaf in the comics. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was just entirely removed in the films. Yeah. Like, just not at all. Yeah. What? Whereas the entire Matt Fraction run of those comics would have actual panels of sign language. Yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah. This is part of his character. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that that happened in that, I think. But it's it's really interesting. And yeah, like where it's sort of like less magic, but they all have, again, like some sort of weird mm-hmm. technological aid that's like fixing them. Yeah. Like crazy. Because they even end up kind of fixing Tony Stark, right? Because he has the arc yeah. reactor for a bit, mm-hmm. but then don't they end up? He doesn't have to have it anymore at some point. Yeah, because they're able to do, like, super crazy right. heart surgery and remove all the... Not heart surgery, just surgery. The, the shrapnel? No. Whereas, you know, that's actually slightly more interesting when... Definitely. He might die of shrapnel in his heart at any moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll stop talking about him because then there's, like, massive spoilers. Oh, Tony Stark. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if you don't know the spoilers by now, where have I mean, yeah, you been living? I mean, yeah, this point it's been like <laughs> eight months. Like, Are you've you done pretty good. Are you under a rock? <laughs> <laughs> or just possibly not on the internet. That's also, yes, I suppose, a possibility. <laughs> uh, would you recommend this book? Definitely. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was, like, super accessible to, like, to anybody that would, like, you could just pick it up and 
Mm-hmm. You don't need to have a lot of background in. It's not like it's not like other academic monographs where you have to have a background in a lot of the theoretical works that you're talking about. Like you don't have to. Ha- you don't need to be well versed in disability studies to get a lot out of this it's just it's very yeah it's not like yeah. it's some sort of specific science thing no where there's not a lot of term yeah calculus of the whatever and like yeah. yeah there's not a lot of like terminology and jargon thrown at you it's all and very... anything that there is she usually explains yes. everything and just how you know like even in the very beginning she makes note of anyone that she references she you know asked how they want to be referred to right and the Which right. that was really interesting yeah. to me too. I didn't realize that there was a sort of split for mm-hmm. disabled person or person with a disability. Yeah, yeah, because that's kind of goes into that weird place of the like quote unquote normal people trying to take the disability mm-hmm. away from people yes. by saying it's a person with cerebral palsy, whereas like she's refers to herself as like. She has cerebral palsy. Like it's, yeah, it's not something that you can separate from exactly, yes. yourself or from someone. Like it's just like you know, if you're brunette, you're brunette. Like it's, mm-hmm. yeah, you're not gonna be like, oh, person with brown hair. Like no, like you're, yeah. It's just, yeah. That was very interesting. Yeah, I found that really interesting too. Because I feel like that kind of went on a weird wave in society of like for a while, people were they thought it was like the right thing to mm-hmm. say. Oh, like a person with a disability, because you made it made them more of a person. Yeah, it was like a person first kind of. Yeah, because you didn't want people to just be like, "Oh, they have a disability." Yeah, but it's like, no, no, they're like a person who happens to have that. Yeah, but it sort of switched back around, where they're sort of trying to. I mean, yeah, sort cause... of like the N word, whereas like, I mean, that's a whole other situation. Yes. But like, it's more like they're trying to own that. Like this is. Who we are. This well, yeah, is what and I am. saying because yeah, yeah, she says in there something about how like for a lot of disabled people, it's so much a part of who they are. Like mm-hmm. even she's saying like, who would she be as Amanda yeah. if she did not have cerebral palsy and didn't have this limp? Like that's a completely different yeah. Amanda. Yeah. So yeah, for a lot of people, it's just very much a part of mm-hmm. their entire identity as a person. Yeah, yeah, and just like. How someone who, say, didn't have cerebral palsy would want whatever their thing is or their whatever Mm -hmm. or their lack of a thing to be who they are. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, I feel like my mom would like to read it. She'd probably be interested in it. Yeah. I definitely think more people should read it. Just because, like, also fair. right? Like, yeah. not because not only is it interesting and engaging and like makes you look at things differently, mm-hmm. but I think it's not a topic a lot of people are thinking about unless they are disabled or have people in their lives who are disabled. So mm-hmm. you kind of do get locked into this able bodied bubble yeah. where you don't think about those things or even, and you don't think about the way that the stories that we tell are talking about those things or not talking about those things yeah. and in not talking about it still basically mm-hmm. talking about it <laughs> yeah yeah crazy. so for sure but yeah so definitely recommend this definitely uh depending on when you're listening to this lord knows uh <laughs> it is february 3rd 2020 and this officially is released on february 11th of 2020 uh we have the advanced reading copy because yes we do we fancy like that 
but yeah, so far, Coach House is two for two. Yeah. Definitely check them out. They have lots of lots of great stuff. Uh, you know where to find us on all of the all social, social medias. medias. If you have any thoughts or anything on this topic, fairy tales, disability making space, all of that, please reach out. We would love to talk about it more and yeah, hear definitely. your opinions. And if we did say something the wrong way, let us know. We didn't mean to. We were trying to do our best yeah. to follow all the we proper are. things and the stuff. And because we also want to just be inclusive and yes, love all the things we do. And read more if you have if you have favorite books. Have favorite books, you know, by authors that you know have a disability or something like that, and they're or just books that really are diverse and kind of showcase mm-hmm. all of those things. Let us know. Yes, we'll please check do. Them out. And otherwise, we'll be back in two weeks for a hangout episode. Yes, we will. We're gonna hang out. We're just gonna hang out and chat. See what happens. About things. <laughs> Who knows? It's always a wild card. <laughs>